0: This program is brought to you by the Genesis Communications Network, a world leader in talk radio since 1998. Visit GCNlive.com today.
1: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
2: And now, here's Jane Steinberg. Now, of course, when you talk about the possibility that we are here because of them, that goes back to the ancient astronaut theories, doesn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep.
3: So what's your take? On ancient astronaut theories? Yep. Um, Sure. Um, Once again, as viable as anything, that uh, visitations in the past Um, that may have been observed in prehistoric times or biblical times were noted in the oral tradition um, and became parts of the mythologies that perhaps parts of certain religions are based on, or philosophical beliefs, or that, again, evolution actually happened in the process as exploring extraterrestrials came here, saw a relatively advanced life form that they felt uh, could be improved, something, again, that we do regularly, if not improved, changed in some way that serves us with life forms on this planet on a regular basis. It doesn't sound terribly exotic to me at this point, the idea that was set in motion in the 1960s by then a, a Swiss-German journalist named Eric Bondanikin, and is now just part of the philosophy of what these other intelligences, or some of them at least, may be about.
4: Well, I should point out also that, you know, some biologists say that the human species are uh, basically a domesticated animal, though they say that we domesticated ourselves, uh, but we have all the characteristics that we see with, uh, you know, say like cats, dogs, and, and other domesticated animals, that they still have that almost uh, uh, infant look about them. Their features are, are smooth, and humans are the same way. So, at some time in the past, were we domesticated? Very possibly.
3: Um, or not. Things could have evolved either way, and they would both make sense to me. Uh, there was a time for me, and I think as any of us explore in wider and wider circles, if we're compelled enough or interested enough about potential explanations for the whys and wherefores of visitations and other intelligences, um, this becomes one more door to pass through that, you know, at that moment that you first consider is quite exotic and perhaps a little far-fetched and then upon reflection simply is one more thing that makes sense as a very real possibility and we all those of us who are involved in this work or have experiences to one degree or another i think have the potential to keep our minds open and uh let go of one possibility for another one as dominant or um you know, just do our best to be good students of the subject um, without being overwhelmed by its strangeness or exoticness or, you know, uh, the quality that keeps it separate from day-to-day other kinds of reality.
4: When it comes to um, abduction phenomena, Peter, I mean, you know, you've been involved in that research for for quite a while. I mean, is this is this something that is continuing today um i i haven't heard a lot of stories recently uh uh along these lines not like you know it was especially in the uh, uh you know was like the 80s and 90s uh it, it it's it's at least the media interest has tapered off a bit is it still an ongoing phenomena
3: oh yes very much so mhm Very much so. And there are still individuals that are all over uh, the world who are doing their best to keep track or assist or facilitate some assistance when possible for people having these experiences. Yeah, It certainly hasn't gone away.
5: Hmm.
4: And are the same types of scenarios that we've seen in the past you know a bedroom invasions the uh, uh, uh at times like false pregnancies and then the disappearance
3: of these pregnancies yes
4: uh, are these still occurring as well very much so
3: really no change no change in the dynamics or the patterns
4: hmm yeah. See, that's uh, uh, as as we talked about earlier. I mean, this this has been uh, something that has been ongoing for for a number of years. Who knows? Maybe even uh, centuries. Right. And I know I know Gene has pointed this out before. Uh, I mean, you know, after a while, don't you think that they've they've gotten enough samples? <laughs> you know, and and uh, uh, you kid know, can, can just go on with their work now, yeah, um i
3: I remember when uh, the the research around abduction being taken was still fairly in its infancy in the later 70s and early eighties that it was often referred to as um they were experimenting. Well, no, i I think on reflection, The word was completely inappropriate. There's a program, in effect, uh, that we can only guess about that is leading to something, I imagine, and that involves this need, desire to continue to... Again, I don't think we, we should be looking at it as, well, gee, we've you know shaken this every possible way and everything's fallen out of the pockets and we've checked it six ways from Sunday and we've learned everything. I don't think it's that as much as needing or desiring to monitor certain aspects of the same bioenergetic form, the same being, to note changes over time to um extract information of some sort i don't know um but yeah that if one wants to look at it as you know they've been doing this for so long haven't they learned what they needed to learn and why is it still going on i it's like asking are they good or are they bad it's mm-hmm. not the right question um and it depends which ones we're talking about i guess So you think
4: there's a possibility that we're not just dealing with one race of of whatever's, that there could be, you know, like multiple um, things going on, so to speak?
3: I've never thought that was a possibility, really. I've always assumed, even from the beginning, that if we weren't alone in the universe or in the dimensional world, um, that... The novel idea that there was one other life form that had evolved to a point where it could visit us was kind of condescending to the odds of you know our Milky Way galaxy having a hundred billion suns and they having a hundred billion planets and we're one galaxy out of a hundred billion um no i I think it's probably going on more than that, and the area of UFO-related intelligence that has had my attention to the greatest degree for all the years I've been involved have been that sliver that's represented by beings usually referred to as greys, which are either um, android, you know, part living life form and part technology, or some innate life form or some form created by a higher form of intelligence that is either doing the bidding of that higher form of, or, of intelligence or have kind of a collective hive mind like bees or ants might, all geared to producing, you know, a single series of results and all working together on that to the exclusion of anything else um, we're going to break but- here
2: you sound to me like you're almost talking about the borg there peter robbins gene steinberg tim schwartz lots more to go you're in the podcast hey listeners i want you to have the entire Paracast experience so i'd like to tell you about after the Paracast.
3: you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music
0: ah this is mommy's jam
3: then surely you'll check nhtsa.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat
0: let's play it again
2: check today at nhtsa.gov slash
6: the right seat brought to you by the national highway traffic safety administration and the act council
1: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
2: So when you talked about possible artificial beings, then we talk about A hive mind? I said Borg. You know what I mean, Peter?
3: I think so. You're referring to, uh, like, Forbidden Planet?
2: I'm not talking about the monsters from the id in Forbidden Planet. I'm talking about a race of cyborgs that were featured in Star Trek Next Generation.
3: I didn't follow the show, and I don't know.
2: (laughs) No worries. But you get the general picture here. We're talking about a collective race of completely or partly artificial beings with a centralized goal which may be a better way of running things because you don't have people to dispute you
3: well better for who i'm not sure but uh, yeah it's one of a number of possibilities there are colleagues of course who will tell you with great specificity what solar system and galaxy and planet this particular group is from, what their ships are powered on, how many years they've been coming here, why they're here, what they have to eat, and other details of their lives and existence that I have no way of verifying, and I usually don't take very seriously, because there's no way to establish empirically that it's true. It's like... Every once in a while, somebody will simply say there are, and then give a number, this many civilizations visiting Earth. And I think to myself, you know, you're really a horse's ass, or you're very naive, or you want so much to believe something that you accept a random number. And even if it's given to you by some well-known investigative writer or author or personality in the work, and they say they have a contact deep within the intelligence community, you believe them. And even if they do, how do we know or how can we even expect that that so-called contact has information that in itself is accurate or doctored or untrue or based on belief? It's like saying, once again, all aliens are good or all aliens are bad. It depends which ones we're talking about. And good or bad may be the wrong questions. They're involved in agendas to produce certain goals that may be in agreement with ours, may not. And I guess that's where we make the judgment call.
4: Well, that's like, I mean, anytime someone says something like that to me, you know, there are 185 distinct species visiting the earth right now. It's like, okay, what's your source? And have you vetted that source? And it usually doesn't go any further than you know who's your source. Well, uh, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well,
3: yeah. there you go.
4: Yeah. Daryl Sims told me one time that you know he wonders if the beings that that we have seen associated with the UFO phenomena. One of the the reasons that they look familiar, you know, humanoid or the reptilians or the uh, insect uh, people, is that is because that they are genetically manipulated life forms from even more unknown alien source that that we'll never see, and that you know they're manipulated because they can work in our environment. And I always thought, well, I mean, you know, you can't prove that one way or the other, but that's an interesting idea. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Yeah. In fact, the old British television show UFO, and I usually don't bring up Pop culture you know uh, uh, things on the show but the uh, that show uh, uh, gary and sylvia anderson's uh, production the yes. extraterrestrials were always shown as humanoid in in suits uh people later uh, investigators later found out that they actually contained uh bits and pieces from uh, uh kidnapped humans on earth to keep them going but then Unfortunately, at the end of the season, and the show was never uh, uh, renewed, it was discovered that the true aliens have never been seen. And that these, you know, even the the humanoid species were some kind of construct. If we think about, say, like H.G. Wells and the uh, War of the Worlds type of scenario, if the truly alien can't exist here, well, they're going to need something to do their work with.
2: The thing that bothered me about War of the Worlds is, if you recall the movie and the story, they succumbed to our common cold after Mm -hmm. basically succeeding in their invasion. And Mm -hmm. my impression here is that they had to be galactically stupid because if you go to another planet, you are advanced enough to take over that planet. You have advanced weaponry. Wouldn't your physicians, so to speak, understand they have to check the flora and fauna of this planet make sure there are no viruses to which they could succumb that would be one of their earliest tasks
3: <laughs> it's fiction and fiction writers sometimes <laughs> miss details or uh, could care less about details or that's one way to proceed for other people no let's just get the heck in here or they did their tests and they missed you know it's off on a tangent
2: Well, of course, there might be politics involved, too. You know, you have to pay off the right people to finish your research, and you're anxious because you have a deadline. Get to earth, take them over before whatever happens to us happens to us. I'm just making it all up as I go along. Sure.
3: (laughs) Well, that's the thing. In this field, one of the catch-22s is unlike, say, the world of medicine or law, where there's something called In this country, the American Medical Society or uh, the Bar Association, where if you stray ethically, if you put forward false findings, if you treat a patient with, you know, a harebrained, non-working kind of cure, you can be censured. You can lose your career. There is no equivalent in the world of UFO studies. And I guess I'm keeping separate here if you're a member of the Mutual UFO Network and you take their investigator's course, then you have a certain amount of training in investigation of this phenomena. Strictly within that organization, if you're caught forging data or something, well, you could be lose your official sanctioning to be an investigator or a member. Otherwise, it's proved me wrong. It's a field where, in order to qualify as a ufologist... I think the protocol is a variation on touch your finger to your nose, turn around three times, and you are one. You can hang up your shingle and start to publish and interact with people on the internet and put forward your theories, and who is anybody to say that you're wrong just because you're new on the block? As a result, there's so much nonsense out there and so much belief-driven data I see the expanding world of interest in the reality of truly anomalous UFOs and their implications for humanity as a kind of infotainment more and more, where we have our roster of real scholars who you know work away year after year and do their best to help us acquire information that we can use in a, a positive way, and a lot of personalities a lot of characters, a lot of players, a lot of people who um, I think their main goal is to be well-known.
2: We're trying to be well-known as well. <laughs> With Peter, Gene, and Tim, you're in <laughs> The podcast.
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. USA news update. The CDC changing the guidelines. If you get COVID, you do not have to lock yourself away for five days, but you should stay at home and away from others until at least 24 hours after symptoms get better and you don't have a fever without medication. President Joe Biden said the U.S. is reaching out with help for the people of the Gaza Strip. He talked about what he called the tragic and alarming event in North Gaza, where more than 100 people died as they rushed food aid trucks, and Israeli forces guarding those trucks opened fire. Michelle Traconis, who stood trial in connection with the disappearance of Jennifer Dulos, her live-in boyfriend's estranged wife, has been found guilty on all counts. Draconis' sentencing set for May 31st. Corey Myers, USA News.
8: GCNfood.com
2: Hi, this is James Fox,
1: Director of the Phenomenon and Moment of Contact. You're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
2: But hasn't it always been thus, Peter? That there are people who get into the UFO field under the mistaken belief they'll become rich and famous. <laughs> I said famous, not That's famous. One of because, our favorites. Yes, exactly. Yes.
3: Famous. I like that term. More mythological than anything else in the world of UFO studies. <laughs>
4: Yeah. There are some people who have managed to uh, uh get onto the uh, convention circuit and do fairly well for themselves by spitting the wildest tales <laughs> that I have ever heard. Lots and lots of them, lots of wild
3: tales. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the fact is some of them are true. They sound like fiction um for many of us and we understand them.
4: I was thinking, let's see, what was it? It was the um, oh, MUFONs and the secret space program that I think that uh, got a lot of people just uh, realizing just uh, uh, how far off to the side some of these conversations go. Now, you know, I mean, we, we speculate on this show quite a bit uh, on our subjects, but I don't think any of us have ever said, well, this is definitely how it is. You know, the little gray guys are from Alpha Centauri yeah. and uh, they've been here for 500 years. No, no. But, like you said, there are so many people out there who are saying, hey, I know it. I have all of the answers to you. Come pay to
3: listen to me speak. <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. Exactly.
4: Yeah, well, and it's it's because it's exciting. You know, it is. It's like you said, it's infotainment. Yes. And they're yeah. using
3: UFOs as the hook. Yeah, we can understand that. I think it's also fed by the wonderful double-edged sword of the Internet, which is it's miraculous on a certain level, and it's a great tool. Uh, if If used in in the right way, and it 's also this giant spigot of crap of nonsense of ridiculous claims of specious stories laid out as fact also since the age of photoshopping, I think a lot of people have become less rigorous about you know seeing an image or some bit of intriguing footage of what purports to be some kind of truly anomalous object in the sky, and because they want to believe. I meant to make that point earlier, that the big mantra here is the words of the X-Files poster. I want to believe. And that drives, I think, many people to take their beliefs and either gently, maybe unconsciously, work them into something they consider factual as opposed to opinion. And if you get enough people to agree with your opinion, well, that feels pretty good. You've got, I must be onto something here because a lot of people agree, even if it's just some wild dream I had, but hey, it's UFOs. It could be true. And they become a belief system, uh, almost like a religion in a way, which is not necessarily a good thing. It's a belief based on faith in your belief as opposed to factual, empirical, provable knowledge uh, or a database that can be taken more and more as a quality research tool based on all of the independent, unbiased contributions that go into building it. You made a good point
4: there using the word religion because there are a lot of people who view this phenomena and especially the extraterrestrial hypothesis part of it almost as a religion it's a replacement for the you know the the this standard spiritual based religion this is the 21st century started in the 20th century but 21st century religion this belief in extraterrestrial beings who are here to save us who have taken on the roles of angels and gods and I see that a lot uh, on the internet that's it, it, it has really proliferated over the years I mean I suppose it's a is it natural for people to seek that, you know, you know, not, I suppose it would be a spiritual basis, but
3: now using extraterrestrials? Yeah, uh, I, I think that's a great observation. Um, Carl Jung, who wrote about flying saucers in a book called Flying Saucers, um, a myth of things seen in the sky. Where, being Carl Jung, he ultimately comes down on two sides and says, in so many words, yes, these phenomena are a projection of our universal longing, our unfulfilled uh, desire to have, a, you know, a greater force than ourselves solve the problems that we can. not it's a updating of God, per se, of a great intelligence in the universe that will uh, be our savior. And there's probably these machines out there, you know, from parts unknown that we call flying saucers. Um, but indeed, for a number of people, it has become the equivalent of a New Age religion. And let's also remember Um, although my work has kept me involved in casework where individuals overall have not had positive experiences. Um, That's the area um, where I work primarily. But let's not forget or in any way diminish the reality that there are many people who have what seem to be as legitimate and as real experiences that are positive that are transformational in in positive ways and who um, see these intelligences as benign or beneficial. We're likely dealing with different intelligences here with different motivations or, you know, depending on how dark your sense of humor is, they're all, you know, negative and working to corral us into some kind of situation, uh, that they've just gotten better at doing their PR and, you know, enticing people into the program, so to say. Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of it also is simply we superimpose our values and our anxieties and our longings on our experiences. And if I am somebody who is more cautious and concerned and have never really considered this, I'm going to have if I have a bedroom visitation, it's going to be traumatic to me. If I was brought up uh, open-minded, progressive, fearless, with a lot of imagination and be open to the strange, I might have a very different attitude when it's happening. That would inform what goes on, you know, from that time on. Um, I know that um, there, are, of course, a whole separate school of literature within the world of UFO writing by experiencers and abductees. And you know, I'm sure you guys have read your share of those books as well. Um, one uh experiencer, a friend of mine in um Michigan, um, Bill Konkoletsky, who is head of um Michigan MUFON and a very uh public uh person in terms of his experiences, has written several books and One of the things that impresses me most about Bill's writing is that he relates experiences from childhood on, some of which have been shocking, traumatic, unnerving, others which have been just fine, fascinating, funny in places, and enriching. Hey, we've got more enrichment for you, folks.
2: Coming in our next segment with Peter, Gene, Tim, you're in
4: the
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
2: Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code.
9: prepare today go to mypatriotsupply.com mypatriotsupply.com
6: when it comes to vaping the truth can get clouded so let's make it clear vaping is not safe for kids teens or young adults it's just not
0: because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs
6: and dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body
0: and nicotine the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes
6: Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com.
0: This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast.
2: If you look at the PowerCast schedules from way, way back, and we do have a search tool and archives on our site at thepowercast.com, Bill was a guest on the show kind of in the earliest days, 2006 or 2007. So perhaps we should have him back on.
3: Great. Yes.
2: I don't know at that point if he was talking so much about the experiences, but certainly talking about the UFO subject in general. I mean... I'm going to ask you this, and this gets to be more of the controversy. MUFON is a mixed bag for a lot of people. They look on, obviously, the positive value in getting the word out there, but maybe they're more interested in getting the word out than in investigating.
3: Um, maybe. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it is an organization. It happens to be the largest UFO organization in the world that doesn't mean it has a million people in it um and yeah i'm one can praise its strengths and criticize what you see as its laxness or weakness in other areas and you know uh if you want to change it join it and work uh to make it the way you want it more
2: <laughs> you do raise an interesting point there about organizations like that Is that the best way to go? Because an organization like MUFON, you mentioned, of course, being possibly the number one organization in the world, and they've got a few thousand members. Out of, what, eight billion people, we can only find a few thousand people to chase after the flying saucers, whereas we can have hundreds of thousands of people who want to read comic books.
3: It's an organization. Um, People... Some people choose not to join organizations. Others do. There are many, many people, as we know, we've been them, um, who are independent in the way that they look to this subject. They network with colleagues, but they're not part of some formal group effort. And there's no right or no wrong, as far as I'm concerned or I can see. Everybody um, is different in this if one becomes seriously interested in the general subject, then like any area of science or history studies, you know that it breaks down into ever so many specific areas of interest or areas of study. If you were studying medicine, for example, there'd be a hundred specialties you could go into. And it's no different in the world of UFO studies, um, maybe not as many, but The area of declassified documents, or archival work, or um, trace cases, analysis of organic material that have come in contact with UFOs or paranormal activity, um, or the accounts of witnesses, or like that. Some people are terrific one-to-one, and really uh, have the ability to make somebody who has been through a shattering or otherwise traumatic experience feel comfortable enough to relate their account. It's a great skill to be trusted as a good listener, a hugely important skill. And in that spirit, say, to record. The account of somebody that you'd like on record because they had an extraordinary event happen to them or they witnessed something extraordinary. Other people are really not very good one to one with people, but they're terrific as researchers going through the minutia of an archive or uh, a library or, you know, um, a personal filing cabinet or what have you, extracting material, pulling it together uh, good detective, so to say. And if you're serious about the work, whether you want to do it as a vocation or an avocation, you know, follow your heart. See what where your passions lie, where you can be of the most value, where you can do something that contributes to the larger picture uh, of of the work in in general. Do you think it would be of uh, a benefit
4: uh, for the whole field of research? Of uh, uh, UFOs to develop some kind of degree program to actually, you know, uh, uh, put out, you know... uh, I don't know what a trained specialist or I—I uh, I don't know. I mean, how you would how you would go by something like that? Because, like you said, you know, I mean, you know, if somebody can uh, touch their nose uh, twice and walk walk a straight line for a while, you know, they can uh, become UFO researchers. So, you know, what uh, what
3: would be beneficial uh, to the whole field when it comes to uh, researching? Well, I think that's a great idea, and there are. A number of schools that have had courses, some of them full credit courses, on the history of the UFO phenomena, for example, in America, or uh, the cultural impact, you know, on Western culture, that kind of thing. Um, Dr. David Jacobs uh, taught such a class at Temple University, I think for 18 years, a full credit course, and it was always full. Um whether it's a San Francisco School of Art, I'm forgetting, but they teach a credit course on um, 20th century history and UFOs. More and more schools do this, um, and there's no reason why, well, again, Dr. Jacobs' Ph.D. was um, translated, well, transposed into his first book, which was... um, about UFOs and um, post-war history, um, the sociological implications, etc. People can actually go make, create for themselves a PhD program with that in mind. But yes, it seems like a natural extension, especially now that we seem to finally be through this age of ridicule and into... Well, it's not that it's completely disappeared. But, um, yeah, uh, no reason why uh, reputable schools could not establish areas of study. And, um, you know, with one set professor bringing in guest uh, speakers, create a degree program. I think it's a great idea.
4: I think that uh, I think it would be beneficial if you had people who were experienced as journalists to be able to collect the evidence and and, and vet the information as, as best as possible, and then people who were um, scientists who would be willing to st- study the phenomena on that scale and not worry about being mocked or having grant money taken away from them uh, because they uh, dared broach the subject of UFOs.
8: hmm mm-hmm.
4: I agree. I was thinking about um, the late John Mack, and you know, heaven forbid that he would have an interest in the subject and actually go about his research in a very scholarly way and to have his accreditation almost
3: pulled. Yep, no question. Uh, He was the very first professor at Harvard to have that threat held over his head since um, Dr. Timothy Leary lost his um, credentials to uh, teach at Harvard with his involvement um, in LSD back in the 60s. And in fact, um, John had to appear before a board representing um, the institution with an attorney. And thankfully, it was uh, Daniel Sheehan, who's a wonderful attorney and certainly um, a specialist in terms of his knowledge of this subject. And uh, uh, John returned to Harvard with his head held high and fully recognized, um, you know, as a scholar in a very real area of study uh, but not without I'm sure some serious legal bill
4: well, and still, if you go and um read pieces written now uh about him and his life, a lot of them are very uh um, um deriding of him for his his research that you know i mean here here is this really smart guy. And he went and and lowered himself
3: for this screwy u f o stuff. oh, I guess I think there are at least as many accolades and recognition of his uh brilliance and courage as a clinician to um interest so many people who would not have been interested if it had not been somebody of his professional caliber and accomplishments willing to put their name professionally and their reputation on the line.
2: We have got so much more to talk about in the final few segments with Peter Robbins, Gene Steinberg, Tim Swartz. You're in
4: the ParaCast.
7: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
4: Do you love reading about the mysteries of the universe? Do you wonder what secrets are hidden in the shadows of our own planet? If so, you won't want to miss these two amazing books by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. In Mimics, the Others Among Us, you'll explore the world of the mimics of man, beings that can look like us but are not. They've been among us since the beginning of history, hiding in plain sight, influencing our culture in ways we can scarcely imagine. In Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters, you'll discover the so-called hard evidence of UFOs that's been available for study this entire time, but for the most part has been ignored. These two books will open your eyes to a hidden reality that has been right in front of our eyes all along. That's Mimics, The Others Among Us, and Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters, by Tim R. Schwartz and Sean Castile, available now on Amazon.com